I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms. Psalm 61 is what we'll be looking at this morning. This is a, a Psalm of David. Um, and so let us listen as we consider God's Word this morning. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you. When my heart is faint, let me lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Amen. You may be seated. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. What a great promise that God gives us in His Word. Please bow with me, would you? Lord, how excited we are to come again once to sit before You, Lord, for You to teach and to instruct us. Oh God, there's many things that have been happening in our lives this week. Uh, for some, uh, even things as uh, severe as the loss of a loved one. But Lord, all of us are going through things. All of us have things that uh, are seeking to vie for our attention and, and to draw our focus to those things. But we pray this morning that you might set us free from those things this morning and that we might focus upon your word. We pray for your Holy Spirit to teach and instruct us. Lord, let not this time be the time of a man proclaiming what he thinks is right. But we pray instead that I might faithfully proclaim the word of the living God. And that you might uh, cause your word to do its work in our hearts. As you promised in Isaiah 55, that it would not return void. That God, it would water the lands. As the rain waters the lands, that so may your word water our souls. We thank you and pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, this morning, as we look at Psalm 61, it is a psalm for those who are burdened. Um, and I would even say this, burdened beyond their uh, capacity uh, by the trials of life. It's for people who uh, are struggling in their lives, maybe struggling in their faith. Uh, not necessarily questioning their faith, but just very much feeling the reality of what it means to live in a fallen world. It may even be for those that, that are sort of have come to the end of themselves and they're, they're really rustling. And maybe you can relate to some circumstances. I'm, I'm sure you can, whether it be that you're battling with daily pain that drains you of uh, your energy to live life, whether it's the unsettledness of life in the face of terminal illness, whether it's the daily struggle with uncertainty over a situation in your life and that may be a physical thing but it also may be uh, a decisions that are yet to be made and and you're you're struggling with that 
Maybe it is uh, strained relationships with someone that you care about. Or maybe it's a waiting in the face of unfulfilled godly desires. Maybe you desire a, a spouse and the Lord has not answered that prayer yet. Maybe it is your regular struggle with sin. Or, or maybe a prolonged unresolved circumstances in your life. And, and with those unresolved circumstances, there's no answer yet from the Lord. And you're wrestling. Maybe it's the loneliness of aging and watching friends and family members die and feeling the limitations of your life and, and not being able to live your life with the loved ones that you once spent time with because your body just can't do that. And so you find yourself not so much a part of the family that you once were with. Maybe you're in that place this morning. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're feeling a sense of being overwhelmed and your heart aches. And if so, let me encourage you to consider the words of Psalm 61. We're not told the specific occasion which inspired this psalm, you know, many of the Psalms, of, especially of David, we sort of know the circumstances of what was going on, but uh, we don't get that luxury with this Psalm. But many scholars believe that it was very likely written during David's time of exile when his son Absalom dethroned David, when he took over his throne, kicked his father out of the city of Jerusalem, and David fled for his life. But regardless of the circumstances around this Psalm, it has provided much comfort and help for God's people throughout the ages because God's people oftentimes experience the weight of the circumstances of life. We oftentimes experience deep sadness and anxiety and depression and, and uncertainty and um, sometimes being unclear of God's purposes for our lives. And too often God seems far removed and life seems unbearably hard. Peter, in, in his epistles, uh, writes how we are sojourners in this world, how we are pilgrims, and this life on this earth is not our true home. Uh, we don't fit here. And so the trials of this world wear us down, and we feel the weight of sin and sickness, the grief of loss, the weight of children, maybe who are not walking with the Lord, the heartache of broken relationships. And Psalm 61 is for us as we go through these things. And the thing I want us to consider this morning as we think about this psalm is, how does this psalm help us in those times when we feel overwhelmed? Well, let's look at this psalm this morning. The first thing we see that David talks about is the place of prayer the place of prayer. When the circumstances of life weigh us down, how do we respond? I wish I could say that every time I went through a difficult time, it just drove me to my knees in prayer before the Lord. I think of that uh, old uh, hymn of the faith, what a friend we have in Jesus, right? And the line that it just repeats over and over and over is take it to the Lord in prayer. And I so wish that that would be my first instinct. But isn't it so easy instead, as we encounter the difficulties of life and the things that seem to, to come against us and uh, as we just live our lives, that we mold those things over in our minds 
over and over and over, attempting to find some solution to them, to either fix them or to escape them, or at least to bring some kind of resolution so that we might get rid of those circumstances in our life. And the more that we mold those things over, it's almost like swimming in a, a really mucky lake. Have you ever done that, where you've been in a lake that just has a lot of... Now, David's not just merely mouthing some pious words. He's not like, I'm praying just because that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to pray. He's not going through, he's not simply going through the motions of prayer as some possible way to bring some kind of resolution to this situation. But he is calling out to the only true one who can help him. I heard someone use this illustration in regards to this text, and I thought it was very helpful. It's a lot like when we call 911, right? When you call 911, you do so expectantly. You're believing that the person on the other end of the phone has been well trained and they are suited to send someone to help you. So you don't call 911 and think, huh, I wonder if anything's going to happen. You know, you expect things to happen. And David prays with that same sort of anticipation. He believes the promises of God that he has given to us, such as in Psalm 50, verse 15. Psalm 50, verse 15. The Lord says, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. And so David cries out to God, expecting God to deliver him. Maybe not right away. We know that God's timing is very different and sometimes the way he answers our prayers is much different because he wants to do something even greater than what we're asking for. But nonetheless, God will answer that prayers. And I wonder how often our prayers are not heard simply because we don't expect them to be heard. Now, I don't say that to lay guilt upon us, you know, as in, you know, your prayers just aren't measuring up. But James does warn us of this. In James chapter 1, verse 6 and following, James says, But let him ask in faith. That is, asking God, trusting him, well, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And sometimes we can fall into that trap to where we pray to God, but we're just sort of praying, wanting to find some kind of resolution, and whoops, the Lord didn't answer that, so then we go on. And we might come back and pray again. But notice where David prays from. Look at verse 2. From the end of the earth I call to you. Now, for any Jew, the center of the universe is, and, and was, and still is, I guess, Jerusalem, right? Uh, it's where the ark of God was located. And so when David says he, he prays from the ends of the earth, it must mean that David was far from Jerusalem. Now, there's debate amongst commentators as he was as whether he was geographically far away, like in some distant land or place, or whether he just felt that he was far from Jerusalem. And if Absalom was seeking to kill him, there was no way for him to return. And so that avenue was cut off. And so David was far from the city of God, far from the temple and the holy of holies where God dwelt. Everything that David had defined his, by his life was gone. David was running for his life from his son. And God seemed distant and David was overwhelmed. 
And so we read in verse 2, when my heart is faint. Now, you know, I like the ESV most of the time, but this is one of the times when I don't think this is the greatest translation of faint. Uh, it doesn't really capture the sense of anxiety and anguish that's portrayed in, in the word in, in the Hebrew. I think the King James actually is better here when it says, when my heart is overwhelmed. In other words, David's heart is not just weak, it's not just faint, but it's crushed. It's overwhelmed with sorrow and loss and regret. That's what David is, is feeling and experiencing. Think of the things that, that would have weighed upon his heart as a, as a king and as a father. He would be heartbroken by the sin and rebellion of his son Absalom. Uh, you, you really don't understand love, I think, for your children until you deal with a wayward child. Until you, and, until you deal with a child who has rejected you, who has rejected the Lord, and, and is walking contrary to you. And it's in those times it really does test your love for your child. And of course, that love is there. And David loves his son. He did very much, but it would have broken his heart to see his son sin against Yahweh in such a way. Well, David would have also been overwhelmed with the knowledge that all this was God's judgment on David's own sin. You know, God did forgive David for his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. But in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11, God promised this. He said, I will raise up evil against you. He's speaking to David here. I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And now it's happening. Absalom has rejected his father. And though Absalom's sin was his own sin, David would have known deep down inside that this was also God's discipline upon him for his sin. What a, what a tormenting thought as a parent. And not only that, but David was betrayed by his own people, by leaders that he had served with, leaders that he had probably advanced through the ranks, men that he had respected, now was joining forces with Absalom and desired to kill him. And so here is David betrayed by many who were closest to him. And now he's banished in exile, utterly overwhelmed and far from home. And it's in such difficult, such overwhelming circumstances that that David turns to God in prayer. But second of all, I want us to look at the plea, his prayer. In verse 2, the very end of verse 2, he gives his plea. He said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Now, a rock is is a place of safety, right? It's, It's a shelter. Uh, so that's a good place to want to go. But, but what is David referring to? Who, who or what is this rock that David's referring to? And what specifically is David asking? Simply this. David is asking for God. He's asking for God. Uh, over 20 times in just the book of Psalms alone, it, it makes reference to God as the rock. In Psalm 18, Psalm 19... Psalm 28, Psalm 31, Psalm 40, 
Uh, even the next psalm, Psalm 62, look at verses 2 and verses 6 through 7, and, and the list goes on and on and on. But we don't really need to turn anywhere else in Scripture to see this. I mean, just even look at verse 3. Uh, David continues, he says, For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. God is the rock. Now, there are many metaphors uh, for God. So why was David using this particular metaphor of God being the rock? And I think Psalm 46.1 addresses that. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. It's in those times of uncertainty that we need to be grounded, that we need to be protected. And God is that rock. Now, he says uh, he is the rock that is higher than I. By saying that, what David is doing is he acknowledges both his lowliness, but also God's omnipotent greatness. And we need to be reminded of that, do we not? Because we do. When difficult circumstances come into our lives, oftentimes the very first thing we seek to do is to resolve those things. But isn't it interesting how God will sometimes bring those things into our lives that I don't care what we do, I don't care what help we get from others, there is nothing that we can do to resolve those things. Because God is wanting to do something in our hearts. And we are thinking too highly of ourselves and God wants to humble us. God wants us instead to be so, instead of being so self-sufficient, He wants us to rest in Him. He wants us to be lowly. He wants us to understand how great He is and that He is our hope and that God is high. And so isn't that a good thought when we are overwhelmed to see that God is higher than I? He is that rock. Above all the weakness and the wickedness and the weariness of our life, God stands high and lifted up. And, and the reality of God's boundless mercy, His steadfast love, His saving arm is a mighty rock and a refuge for God's children. Now, it's important as we look at this psalm to, to see what David prays for, but also what David doesn't pray for. Um, David doesn't pray for the circumstances that were causing him so much sadness and anxiety. He doesn't pray for those things to be removed. He doesn't pray to get rid of those things. He also doesn't pray for God to answer the circumstances in a certain way. And you know how we oftentimes pray to the Lord, Lord, this is happening, like he didn't know. Lord, this is happening. I need you to do this, 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 and this. David doesn't pray that way. He doesn't seek to insert himself to to somehow inform God. Rather, what he does is he leaves the circumstances to God and he pleads for shelter in God. He prays for shelter in God. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't pray for those things that come into our lives in those trials. You know, we can pray for those things. But ultimately, we are to look to the Lord in the midst of those. Uh, Look, if you would, uh, Psalm 61. He said, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. That's what David was praying for. And, And especially in times of waiting. What do you do while you're waiting for God to answer? You know, I've, I've struggled with this a little bit as we've been praying for another place to meet as a church. 
and I pray and I fast and I fast and I pray and nothing, just crickets. And I even said to my wife, you know, I think I really struggle to know what to do when, when I pray and God doesn't answer my prayers. But, but I, I see now as I'm reading Psalm 61, what God wants us to do is just to abide in Him. Regardless of the answer, to rest in Him. To not worry, to not fret, uh, just to find our joy in Him. Plead with God that we might abide in Him and trust His promises and rest in communion with Him. No wonder David pleads for the Lord to lead him to that rock. Now, I don't know if you noticed that or not, but that really struck me this week as I was studying this. Lead me to the rock that's higher than, than I. But, but there are times, as I thought about this, that we do need to be led. When our hearts are overwhelmed, we often cannot find our way, spiritually speaking. We're struggling to know where our footing ought to be. We forget where we need to go, and our heart may be so weighted down with sorrow, so confused by the trials that we're going through, maybe so burdened with bitterness or fear that we can't find our way to God. But even when we can't find our way to God, we can ask God to lead us to Him. And He will do so. No matter where your heart might be, you can all, always cry out to the Lord and ask Him to lead you to the shelter and safety found in Him alone. Psalm 61 follows up the imagery of God as David's rock by four other uh, metaphors. And, and I want to look at each one of those metaphors this morning and take those things to heart. And, and as we do so, to ask ourselves, what, what's so significant about these images that, uh, that the Scriptures give us about who God is? Well, one thing I want you to see is that they are arranged to show sort of an increasing measure of intimacy with God. The, the further we look at these descriptions, you see that there's more and more intimacy with God. Let me just, and, and I want you to sort of consider these things because I'm going to come back to them at the end of the sermon and, and, and to, for us to consider something about these things. First of all, he talks about how God is a refuge. The, a, a refuge, this is, image is probably the closest to that of God being a rock. In fact, if you look at the Psalms, throughout the Psalms, it ties together these two ideas. Psalm 18.2, my rock in whom I take refuge. Or, or Psalm 31.2, my rock of refuge. And if we could go on and on and on, I'm not going to belabor the point. You see that that idea of God being a rock is also a sense of which he is our refuge. It sort of calls to mind David's retreat to safety when King Saul was chasing him to kill him. And, and it sort of reminds you of the cities of refuge that were set up in Israel. That if someone had accidentally struck someone down dead, they didn't mean to do that. It was an accident. Uh, their family members may seek vengeance upon that person and revenge. And so God set up these cities of refuge in which the person who had committed the atrocity could run to. And once they got in the boundaries of that city, then they were safe. Family members could no longer take retribution on them, but it was a haven against uh, 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 where their adversaries could not harm them. And God is our refuge. We also see that he's a strong tower. A tower is a refuge for people in times of attack from enemies. 
but but it sort of differs from a wilderness refuge uh, in that it's part of a walled city. So here is the idea not of a person fleeing from their home, but of a person defending himself in his home city where the there uh, is a threat of an enemy coming against them. And presumably this person is not alone in this condition. There's others that are taking refuge in the tower with him, and they would be helped uh, in defending him. But God also is a tent. Now the word tent sort of conjures up, uh, at least in the Middle East, it would have conjured up a domestic scene in which a host might welcome strangers into their home uh, and invite them to come, like Abraham did when he had the three heavenly visitors outside the tent near the great tree of Mamre. And, and of course, a visitor in such a situation would receive much uh, uh, care and attention and protection from his host. And so it would have conjured up that idea of, of care and protection. And yet, um, some commentators believe that this actually could be maybe a reference to the tabernacle as it talks about the tent. And if that is the case, then David is, basi is basically asking God uh, to allow him to dwell where God himself dwells. And th that idea is expressed in other places in the Old Testament. So even if that's not what it means here, it, it does speak of it in other places like Psalm 27. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Psalm 27, 4. So, as you look at these images, you see that it sort of goes from this idea of being in the wilderness, this, this refuge, to uh, a fortified city, a strong tower, presumably in Jerusalem, and then finally to the tabernacle, which means cl moving closer to God. But there's no image of these four that are probably more intimate than that of a sheltering mother bird. He talks about that God would guard us under his wings. Now, kids, I just want to set the, the thing straight. God does not have wings, okay? This is a metaphor, okay? This is just to paint a picture to tell you sort of what God is like. Okay, so God's not going around flapping his wings or anything like that, okay? Um, what he's saying in, in many ways is in the same way that a mother hen would care for her chicks by uh, caring for them and protecting them, she does so by keeping them under her wings. And so God shelters his people as he keeps them close to himself. You know, there may be times when God seems far away, and we may feel like David did when he was praying, that, that we're at the ends of the world, scattered, and that we're far away from God. But the reality is, the whole time, God draws us close to himself to care for us and to protect us. A safe place to weather the storms of life and protect us from worry and anxiety when we're tempted to feel overwhelmed. When we don't know the resolution to the situations, when we see no end, and we can become discouraged and think, Lord, I, I'm just not, I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not figuring this out. He said, then don't, my child. Sit at my feet. Come, let me gather you to myself. Focus upon me, not upon your circumstances. Don't stir up worry. 
Don't try to resolve things. Just trust me that I love you. And, and I know that this sometimes can be odd for Reformed Christians because we have a tendency to exalt God in His sovereignty, right? And that's not bad. That's a good thing, all right? But to think of our relationship with God is intimate, sometimes I think it's hard for us because we don't want to speak against God's transcendence and God's sovereignty. But we must never fear to be intimate or to think in intimate terms with God. And what I mean by that, I'll just give an example. I was really struck this week about uh, how I reacted to something that I read. Uh, I, I, I read something where they were saying, you know, and, and God is in heaven waiting for you as his child. And I thought, no, no, no. God is the center of things. I'm not the center of things. And I thought, you know, if he was not waiting for me, then why did he die for me? And that's not so much a reflection upon who I am as much as it is a reflection on God's love for his children. And I think we struggle with that. I think we struggle with that sense of intimacy that God has set his affection upon us for whatever reason he has done. And God desires to be intimate with you and, and, and is only hurt when you remain at a distance or draw back from his embrace. So why does David turn to God in this time of need? Look at verse 5. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You see, David remembers the reality of his relationship with God. That it's a loving relationship. It's a covenanted relationship. David has made vows to the Lord to love and to worship him, to serve him with all of his life. And God has made promises to David to bless him with the heritage given to those who fear him. Now, what is this heritage that God gives to those who fear his name? I think Malachi chapter 4, verse 2 speaks to this. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, where we read, But for you who fear my name, this is God speaking, of course, For you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping with calves from the stall. You see, the heritage God gives is righteousness and eternal joy in the presence of God, right? Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That sense of joy, I think we oftentimes don't realize how much that is a part of the Christian life. And that when, when we struggle with joyfulness, when our lives are more joyless than joyful, I think it's because we don't really understand who God is and what He's done for us. That's the heritage, the fullness of joy in the presence of God. And God has given this to David as a free gift. And David prays as a child of God, assured that he has this inheritance before God. So we have the prayer that David prays. We have the plea that he prays. And and the third thing I want us to see is the other petition that he prays in verse 6. He prays, prolong the life of the king. 
May his years endure to all generations. Now, this is King David praying this. So, it, it, at first glance, it seems like David is praying for himself. And there is a sense in which David does pray for himself in this. But if you look at the end of verse 6 and, and verse 7, you see that it's really talking about something much broader than just David. He said, um, May his years endure to all generations. Now, David's kingship, as long as it was, did not endure to all generations. He also says in verse 7, May he be enthroned forever before God. And we know David did not live forever. He died. He's, his grave is, is here on this earth. And so while this prayer relates to David, it's, it's not limited to him. But instead, we're reminded from the Gospel of Luke that we read from earlier, chapter 1, verse 32, just a little bit further than what we read. Uh, Luke is speaking of Jesus, and he said, The Lord shall give unto him, that is, unto Jesus, the throne of his father David, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And so it's a prayer that David is praying for an eternal rule of an eternal king. In other words, David's desire is not just to have his trials removed, but his desire is that God would invade this wicked and this wretched world and establish a king who would reign in righteousness. That's what he wants. That's what he's praying for. In the midst of war and death and betrayal and grief, David longs for God to bring everlasting peace and joy and life that will come when God's king reigns. And so he prays for the Messiah. He prays for the Christ to come, the eternal king who will usher in God's eternal kingdom, the mighty king who will make all things new. We must not forget this, brothers and sisters, because when we're going through pain, when we're going through difficulties and troubles, we tend to shrink our vision so that it only focuses upon ourselves. And, and I would even maybe go so far as to say, not just even upon ourselves, but maybe even through the particular trial that we're going through. And, and you probably see that as you have had friends that you have walked through, through the difficulties of their life. And it just seems like they can never get past whatever that trial is that they're struggling with. But, it, but it's a great comfort and a joy in the trial to lift your eyes to the big picture to the grand redemptive purposes of God. You see, the greatest joy of the believer is the confident expectation that one day the second petition of the Lord's Prayer will be answered. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we look forward to. You see, the great news for the New Testament Christian is that the kingdom has come already in the appearing of our Lord Jesus, that God's Messiah has come and he's now enthroned forever before God. So David's prayer is answered. But Jesus not only lives today, he reigns today. And our trouble is in his sovereign hand. Our life and our death are in his loving care. And, and we can run to him no matter how sinful, how weary we might be, we can hide ourselves and the mercy and love and grace and truth and faithfulness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in that confidence, even, that we can sing. Now, that may sound odd when you're going through trials and difficulties, but that we can sing. Look at verse 8. 
So I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day by day. You see, the song of the exile always ends in praise. It might be praise through tears, and some of us, I'm sure, have done that. But as our eyes are fixed on the glory of Jesus and the wonder of belonging to Him and the confident expectation of one day being with Him, we are enabled to live in obedience and faith day after day after day, no matter what we go through. Currently, I'm uh, listening to The Saints' Everlasting Rest by Richard Baxter, okay? I'm actually listening to the Tim Cooper version. By the way, I would highly recommend it because Baxter's volume is like 800 pages and Tim Cooper has like narrowed it down to like 300 pages. So it's a much easier read. Still, the, the basic gist of what Baxter is saying. For those of you that don't know, Baxter thought he was dying, so he wrote his... Uh, his um, basically his funeral service, his funeral sermon, okay? But it ended up being an 800-page book <laughs> in typical Puritan fashion, right? Uh, and, and, you know, in that, Baxter speaks of the need of daily meditation on heaven. If the way that I like to put it is we live in light of eternity. We think of what it's going to be like. And, and Baxter goes on to say, we have knowledge of God and we have knowledge of heaven but he makes the point that it does not inform our affections. You know what I'm saying? We know it in our head. This is how we'd say it today. It's in our head, but it hasn't made its way into our heart. That's sort of a bad way to put it because the heart consists of the intellect, the affections, and the will. And it doesn't get into our affections. And so he said to move our knowledge from the storage of our mind to, to bring it to bear upon our affections, we must use reason. In other words, we must speak to ourselves. We must talk to ourselves about spiritual realities. Let me give you an example to help you maybe to understand. Think about the prodigal son while he's in the pig pen. Right? He's here. He's, he's Jewish, but he's caring for pigs. That's an issue. You know, but then he's also desiring to eat the slop that the pigs are eating because it looks better than what he's eating. And so what does he do in that moment? For those of you that know this parable, he starts talking to himself, doesn't he? He starts saying, you know what? My dad, his servants eat better than this. You know, if I would humble myself, if I would go back and I would plead with my father, Father, don't take me back as your son. I just want to be the lowliest of the lowly of your servants. Just let me be the bottom on the rung that I know that I could eat better than this. And so what happens is, is that what he knows is true about his father and his situation, he begins to work through and to reason through all those things and, and talk about how those things affect his life. And that informs his affections and results in a change of his will and his direction of his life. And so he goes back to the Father. And it's that way with us, right? Likewise, in the overwhelming trials of life, we must take these metaphors that we talked about, how God is our rock, how God is our strong tower, how he is our tent, how we abide 
under His wings. And we must reason through those, brothers and sisters. We must reason with ourselves and speak to ourselves how the realities of who God is affects our lives daily and the circumstances that we live in. We've got to preach to ourselves. I hope that we're a church that talks to themselves. I know that sounds crazy, but we need to be a church that talks to ourselves, but doesn't talk about what we think is right, but the reality of what God has said. And the closer we do that, the, or the more we do that, then the closer we draw to the Lord. You see, God is not far from us in our trials and our temptations, but He is closer than a mother hen who loves His chicks. So let the Word of God not simply inform your mind, but through reason stir your affections for God. And as you take to heart the reality of who God is and who you are in relationship to Him, then you'll be able to say like the Apostle Paul in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. You see, David begins this psalm with prayers and with tears. But he ends with praise. He ends with singing. Even though he continues to go through these overwhelming circumstances. Because the soul lifted up to God fills with joy and praise. Wherever we are, we have the liberty to draw near to God, as James commands us to do so. Pray that we may find a way open to the throne of grace. Pray that God would lead us to Himself, who is the rock that is higher than us. And remember that that which separates us from the comforts in this life should drive us nearer to God, to the fountain of all comfort. And, through the heart, and though the heart is overwhelmed, yet it may be lifted up to God in prayer. And so our weeping, our crying must intensify praying, uh, not deadening our prayer. You know, we ought not, as we encounter these difficulties, to set our affections on how can we resolve these things, but may the crying and the weeping as we, uh, as we mourn maybe a loss in our life or the difficulty of the circumstance, may that lead us to pray to God. And God's power and promises are a rock that is higher than we are. God's promises and our faith in them are not to do away with, but to encourage prayer. When we pray, let us not look for security in seeking to resolve the situation, but rather let us find security under the protection of God's mercy and His truth. And if we partake of that grace and truth which came by Jesus Christ, we may praise Him, whatever our outward circumstances may be, because true joy is found as we experience God's mercy and truth towards His people in Christ, in Christ alone. Amen? Maybe you don't know the Lord, though, this morning. Maybe, maybe you've rejected Him. Maybe you're, you're telling Him that you don't need Him, that you can do it on your own. You may have rejected God, but He doesn't reject His own. And David found that he could not be fixed on the rock of salvation unless the Lord placed him there. 
And as there is safety in Him alone and in none else, let us pray to be led and fixed upon Christ as our rock. For God to be your shelter and strong tower, you must place your trust in Him. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, I would love to talk to you about Him, that you might know the joy of being led to the rock that is higher than us. For those who place their faith in Christ, the grace of God shall be His constant comfort. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and reflect upon these wonderful truths and realities of our God. God of all comfort, we thank you so much that you have written these words to us in, in our times of discouragement and those periods of time in our life where we might struggle with depression, anxiety, worry. Lord, where, where we have sought to take the circumstances of our own lives into our own hands, and it's all falling apart. Oh God, thank you for showing who you are and your great love for your people. Lord, help us to turn from our ways, our self-sufficiency. Humble us, oh God, that we might turn to you and rest in you, that we might be led to the rock that is higher than us. And Lord, I pray uh, for any that might be here today as well who don't know you, or those that may be watching via live stream, that God, that they would contact us, that they might know the joy that comes in Jesus Christ alone. Oh Lord, and that they might know that there is none that is beyond your reach, that you are the God who spoke and all things came into existence. How can you not save a sinner who lived in rebellion against you? That you are the God that makes all things new. We thank you, Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen.